With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome aboard, Giants fans, to episode 60 of Talk is Cheap, our New York Giants podcast right here on NJ.com. I'm Joe Giglio, back from a week off. Thanks again to Brandon London for joining the show last week, and uh, I'll, try to, uh, I'll try to follow that act up. But Brandon, great job by him and a great episode last week. So I'm back this week, of course, with James Cratch and Dan Duggan. They cover the Giants for NJ Advanced Media as training camp. I guess the technical part of it is wrapping up here. It's over. It's still a lot of summer to go. Training camp. Uh, and practice is still to go. The first preseason game in the books last week against the Dolphins. This Saturday coming up, uh, the Giants will be in Buffalo to take on the Bills. So we'll talk about the first game, some of the big storylines in camp, and play a little fact or fiction as we move forward with the New York Giants. James, we'll start with you. Um, the Giants played a preseason game here. They played against the Dolphins. What's the biggest kind of thing on your mind after the game? The biggest takeaway is, is now the first one is in the books, and when we start moving forward with this football team. The new defense with all the new players, the big acquisitions, they were on the field for the first time against a different color jersey, and it went really, really well. It was just two series. It was just the first preseason game, but you kind of saw, you know, I think the Giants saw a little bit of what they dreamed about. Olivier Vernon was all over the place. Oa Odigizua had a really big night. Uh, the cornerbacks really didn't get tested, so you can't tell too much about them. Uh, the linebackers played well. Jonathan Casillas really flashed. So it was a very pot. You know, Damon Harrison had a big run stuff. So all the stuff the Giants have been talking about and hoping with this defense, it kind of came together for the first time on Friday night, and it looked good. Uh, still a long way to go, but I think for the first night, the Giants had to feel pretty good about where their defense was. I think so, too. Owa is the one that, that stood out to me when I got a chance to watch the game. And, I mean, the, the Giants could use depth, right, because they, they went and spent a lot of money to bring in some big-time players on defense. But you always need more than just those guys on the surface. So Owa stood out to me. I agree, James, with the defense. Dan, how about for you, your first time as a Giants beat writer covering a game? It was just a preseason game. But what stood out to you for your first game, Dan? Yeah, aside from the hour uh, weather delay, that was a new one for me. <laughs> um yeah, I mean, obviously the defense is the biggest thing, so I'm not really to just echo everything James said. Um, offensively, you didn't get to see much of what this offense is going to look like, obviously, uh, without Eli Manning and Odell Beckham, uh, without those guys playing. I think the thing that was obviously reinforced, I don't think this is any surprise, is they're in big trouble if Eli Manning gets hurt. I mean, I don't want to make too much out of, you know, one pretty poor uh, start by Ryan Nassib in a preseason game, but he hasn't really looked good all camp. Uh, and again, I mean, I think it's most teams around the league would, would be happy uh, to have one good quarterback, the Giants have that. Not many of two, and certainly the Giants uh, don't have two good quarterbacks from what I've seen. 
And, and depth is also a concern on the offensive line. I mean, that second offensive line was a disaster on Friday night. And, uh, you know, it's the, the first team line has got questions. So if someone goes down that first team line, I think there'd be, uh, you know, probably gaping hole where uh, it'd be a tough thing for this team to overcome. Yeah, injuries for the Giants, you know, always are, are a concern here. And, and James, you had a piece. Um, we're doing this podcast on a Tuesday morning. You had a piece on Monday about Victor Cruz and his future. Mm-hmm. Now, now let's talk about the wide receiving core here and, and how Cruz fits in and, and how I'm sure the Giants hope he fits in. Obviously, Beckham is the star. Shepard, I think, continues to open eyes, not just for you guys at camp every day or the fans that have gotten the chance to go out there for a couple open practices, but also the nice catch he made uh, on Friday night against the Dolphins. But now moving forward here with Victor Cruz, the groin is still an issue from what I've been hearing just, uh, you know, just from you guys. And I was listening to the radio on Monday with uh, Mike Frances at Giants camp. Uh, Jerry Reese was saying they hope to get Victor Cruz back on the field uh, maybe as early as the middle of this week. We're doing this podcast on a Tuesday. What are you hearing? And what in your mind, what's the concern level for you about Victor Cruz? Just, uh, you know, the time, the whole timeline of all these years and all these, you know, nagging injuries along with the big ones he's had. Look, you have to be 100% concerned. And I understand that people hear groin injury and think, you know, that's not that big of a deal. It happens all the time. And, yes, it does. But Victor Cruz is not just any other player. The bottom line is that the guy has not played in a football game since October of 2014. That's 31 straight games, regular season and preseason, the Giants have played where he has not dressed. At some point, the guy has to play in a preseason game, he's got to, he has to be on the field. And, you know, I, as I wrote in that piece during the first two weeks of training camp, you know, and we can even attest for it. You know, it's worth, we're not practicing obviously, but it's a grind. You basically practice every day. Well, once you get past the first preseason game, the schedule basically resembles very closely a, a, a regular season work week. So it's Tuesday. We're taping this. They hope Cruz is going to practice Wednesday. If he doesn't practice Wednesday, I don't see how he plays in Saturday. I don't. First off, I don't think he's going to play in Buffalo at all. But if he doesn't practice Wednesday, there's no way he's playing because Wednesday, Thursday practice, Friday walkthrough, Saturday game. Okay, so they're off Sunday. So that means he, if he doesn't practice, does he practice Monday? Because he has to. You know, you have to string together two or three or four practices before they put him in a game. And right now, he hasn't proven that he can do that. And until he does. I don't really know where this is going. I don't think anyone does, James. I mean, and I think that the complicated part is here is who he is, what he's done before, and what I think the Giants probably hope he can do. Dan, for you, when you look at, you know, Victor Cruz, what he was, Victor Cruz, what he might be able to be, but then, you know, what you're not seeing on the field. I mean, do you think the Giants should have a date in mind where they have to say to themselves, you know, can we put this guy on the roster and just kind of wait and wait and wait? Or or do you think because of who he is and because of what he did before, that if he's even somewhat close, they're they're just going to keep him around? Yeah, and no, I think at some point, you know, I think it probably already has. That, that clock starts ticking. Uh, you know, Ben McAdoo and Jerry Reese kind of want to keep couching it. And McAdoo's been saying never say never, which is one of his favorite phrases, it seems like. Uh, but, yeah, at some point, McAdoo said we haven't been able to evaluate the guy because we've been building him up. Well, at some point, you, you have to start moving forward if you're not gonna, if the guy's not gonna get to that point. I mean, the, the thing that crystallized everything with Cruz for me was, you know, we've been tweeting out these photos and videos all camp of Tavares King and Roger Lewis and, and Darius Powell making big plays. And someone said to me on Twitter, "Has Cruz made any plays like that?" And when I step back, he hasn't made a single play that you would 
put as a highlight on Twitter. I mean, not that that's the end all be all, but you really have to search for anything he's done. I mean, you can't just live on memories for, from two and three years ago. I mean, that's a long time now, especially when he's had two major injuries in the interim. It's not like if Odell Beckham, you know, missed a couple weeks of practice, you'd be comfortable. Okay, he's going to come back. He's going to be fine. It's been so long with Victor Cruz. You can't just guarantee that he's going to snap his fingers and, and finally put these injuries behind him and be what he once was. So I think at some point, uh, you know, I think, again, the clock's ticking. You know, he, I think he has to be on the field. That third preseason game has to show something in practice to say, this guy's going to help the team. I mean, there's no sentimentality in this league. Uh, you know, you tip your hat for everything he did, but if he's not going to help you this season, I think at some point you have to move on. And James, I think as soon as the Giants drafted Sterling Shepard in the second round, you and me and everyone that's, you know, at all follow the Giants sort of say, well, you know, this kid might eventually be Victor Cruz's replacement. It really makes sense that they are taking him if they like him and uh, his game would fit the mold that they've had with Cruz here. Now, Shepard seems to have looked good in everyone's eyes. How much do you think that plays into a decision the Giants might have to make here? I mean, if Shepard wasn't on the team, if they take, I don't know, a right tackle with the second-round pick, Mm -hmm. do you think that would change maybe how much leash they continue to give Cruz here? And if not, I mean, if if they really believe Shepard's ready to be a true number two next to Beckham, do you think that would impact the Cruz decision? I I do. I mean, look, I think one of the situations, you know, going back a year, I think the, pro- the major mistake, one of one of the major mistakes Jerry Reese made was that when Cruz wasn't there, they really had nothing else. You know, Ruben Randall, who, who's now, stink, you know, ter- the worm is turning on him in Philly now, he was n- never going to be able to step up and be a true number two receiver. Uh, they got away with it a little bit because Dwayne Harris emerged. But now, you know, you have Shepard, you obviously you have Odell Beckham Jr., I think they can sit there and be confident, okay, these are our top two receivers. Uh, Jeremy Davis has got a hamstring injury right now, but he's had a really good camp. Uh, they know Dwayne Harris can produce for them. I think now the Giants look at this as, we're okay in theory because we have Shepard, we have Beckham. If those are our two guys on the outside and Davis is contributing and we have Harris in the slot, although we don't probably want to use him as much on offense because he's really a special teams ace at the end of the day. And I think they can say, okay, we can be patient with Victor Cruz. We can wait this out. But if they didn't have Sterling Shepard, one, I think they probably would have brought a veteran receiver into camp just because they would have known we can't do this again. But I think there would be a lot more pressure on Cruz and on the Giants to resolve this thing if he was the guy they were really going to rely upon. They're in a pretty good situation, in my opinion, in the sense that whatever they get out of Victor Cruz, assuming he actually can get on the field someday, it's gravy at this point. Dan, do you sense any frustration from the Giants with the Cruz questions? I mean, obviously the head coach has to deal with it. Uh, Jerry Reese, I heard a little bit uh, with Mike Francesa when I was in the car yesterday as he was at camp. Do you sense any frustration? Because, I mean, I feel like the Giants, like we talked about this past couple of weeks, a lot of positivity, a lot of optimism. Uh, you know, not many questions, I think, that would drive a coach crazy probably in a training camp because it's been pretty positive. Cruz, though, I mean, this has lingered for a while, and, and McAdoo, this is his first time as the head coach. Reese, obviously, is, has been around. Do you sense any frustration that the Giants have just when they hear these questions from you guys with the crew stuff? It's interesting you ask that because I, I didn't feel that way until yesterday. I think yesterday was kind of a, a little bit of a tipping point where, you know, we're still asking questions about this guy, and it, it's the same things every day. And McAdoo's very tight-lipped and very controlled in what he shares with us, which often isn't a lot. 
And for him to volunteer that he had this sit down with Cruz, but then not divulge any details of what was said was just interesting to me. I think people interpret that a lot of different ways. I mean, I know some mm-hmm. people are saying, is he trying to light a fire under Cruz and say, listen, uh, you know, we need you out here. I don't know. I didn't really come away with that feeling, but the fact that it's out there and McAdoo is responsible for putting, you know, opening things up to speculation. If he had just kind of given his, his stock answers about Victor Cruz, no one knows they had a conversation. No one's trying to draw conclusions from that. The fact that he put that out there, I don't know, the more I think about it, it's just interesting. I wish I knew exactly why he did that, but when he was pressed on it, he didn't give any more than that. He said he'd leave it up to Cruz to, uh, to explain what the conversation was if he wants to, and we don't know the next time we'll talk to Victor Cruz. I mean, he wasn't made available yesterday. He didn't go on the radio. Uh, so I just found that interesting because, again, McAdoo has been pretty tight-lipped and, and doesn't really seem to mind just stiff on our questions if he doesn't want to go there. So for him to offer something like that up and then not – give any details i don't know it just seemed like it opened things to speculation which uh, you know I, I don't know why he would want to do that well, or, I, go ahead Mike. go ahead james i was gonna say i think ben is in a pretty tough situation right now with Cruz for a couple of reasons i mean you know and you know dan said different ways to read into things one of the things i kind of took away from from ben because you know he said you know i had this meeting with victor and i'm not going to share it private but the last thing he said on the subject was I support Victor 100%. And to me, I think maybe Ben was trying to get out. I don't want to, you know, as Dan said, we really don't know what his, what his motivation was. But, you know, Victor is not a guy like, you know, Ben Ben has been around the Giants, but, you know, Victor was on the field for, what, six games in Ben's first year as offensive coordinator? I think six. All right. Yep. So – Right, he and Beckham have played what six quarters together total, something, something like, that. like that. So I, my point is, you know, Victor is is an institution with the Giants, but his time and Ben McAdoo's time really overlap in terms of on field to a minimal extent. Obviously, Ben's been around him for going on three years now in the classroom and everything. But I mean, I think at the most, Victor Cruz has been healthy in that practice for maybe three months total when McAdoo's been with the Giants. So I think there's there's definitely, you know, as I said, you know, Victor's not really a Ben guy. So I think that, you know, Ben's in a tough position because of that. I think Ben's in a tough position because, look, he's a first-year head coach. He, You know, he, he the team hasn't made the playoffs in four years. He's talking about, he said it several times, we want the best 53-man roster. Well, you know, Dan said, you know, Cruz hasn't made a bunch of plays this summer, and – I don't think that's as much of a concern because look, the guy hasn't played football in two years. I mean, what did people expect him to roll out there and look like it was 2011 again? But he says, I want to put the best 53-man roster together. He's got all these young wide receivers that are having tremendous training camps. He's got Cruz, who, when he's been out there, hasn't looked all that great. You know, it's it's almost like Ben is at a point where no matter what he does, and 50% of the world is going to think he did the wrong thing. And I get that's... That's part of the job. He's the head football coach in the New York Giants. You know, it is what it is. But I think it's a, it's a tricky situation for a first-year head coach who has inherited a situation that he really wasn't there for the beginning of. To, that's a tightrope he's got to walk. And I think that, you know, that's something that people have to keep in mind as well. Yeah, that's a good point, James. And it's weird because he wasn't there. He didn't inherit it. But like you said, he does. He was there a little bit. It's not like he's a brand new guy coming into the organization. Like if they hired, I don't know, Adam Gase or someone exactly. like that who has no ties to Victor. He does. He's coached him. It's just been a very 
you know, I guess hands off thing because he just really hasn't been around. So clearly Ben's got that on his plate. The Giants have to deal with this Victor Cruz thing. And I think this this leads us right into a little factor fiction we could play with the Giants and uh, some of the storylines around camp heading into the season. So we'll start we'll start with the first one, which I think is is the one that we've kind of touched on, but I don't know if anyone knows the answer. I'm going to put you guys on the spot here to start this. So for each of these, we'll go with James and then we'll go to Dan. So we, we have, uh, we don't step on each other. So let's start with this fact or fiction for each of these James fact or fiction. Victor Cruz will play in week one for the giants. Wow. Uh, I got to say fiction until he's on the he, he plays in a preseason game so I'll say fiction. I mean I think it's possible he plays in week 1 but until the guy actually steps and I don't think like last year if Cruz had been healthy I think the Giants could have said all right we're going to roll him out there in week 1 cuz he's ready. You can't do that. It's been basically 2 years now. So he's got to play in a preseason game and until he can put together a week of practice to get in a preseason game I'm going to have to say fiction. Yeah, I'm gonna, go ahead, Dan. Yeah, I'm going to go fiction as well. I mean, basically the same reasons James said. I mean, there's no reason to believe he will be out there. He has to show it. He has to show it to has to show it to me. He has to show it to Ben McAdoo. He has to show it to Jerry Reese. I mean, you can't just pencil the guy in. Again, it's been so long. It's hard to overstate, I mean, how long this absence has been and, and how serious his injuries were. Again, maybe the groin isn't that serious, but, again, at some point you have to get on the field. And, you know, maybe it's Wednesday. Maybe he, you know, he turns a corner. And uh, like, like McAdoo said, you never know when that could happen. He turns a corner and he plays the last two preseason games, shows a little flash. But I just, I have to see it to believe it. And uh, so if you have to ask me right now today, I'd say I'm going to have to go fiction for him being in the lineup uh, on opening day. Yeah, it's disappointing, I think, for people listening, Dan. And that's uh, probably a, a good line. I have to see it to believe it now at this point with Victor Cruz. After all he used to do, I and mean, it's been a long time now. Uh, so we have a, a pair of fictions on Cruz playing in week one for the Giants. All right, factor fiction number two. Uh, obviously, on last Friday night, we're doing this podcast on a Tuesday, Eli did not play. Ryan Nassib uh, got the start at quarterback. Uh, and again, it's just, I don't think anyone is impressed, or most fans are just are kind of, uh, they shrug their shoulders at the idea of Ryan Nassib. But how about the Giants and their thoughts on him? Uh, so, James, factor fiction, Ryan, Na- Ryan Nassib will be Eli Manning's backup in week one. Fact. Definitely fact. I mean, one... There's no one else out there. And even if there, even if someone like, you know, someone asked me on Twitter, like, well, well, Nick Foles popped up. And I'm like, OK, so even if someone like Nick Foles were to somehow pop up, there are so many teams in the NFL, starting with their week one opponent, Dallas Cowboys, that are way more desperate for a backup quarterback than the Giants are. You know, the Giants believe in Ryan Nassim. He, he did not play well on Friday night. I, no denying that. Um, I thought he did a little bit better at first when he had the first-team offensive line in front of him. Uh, when the second-team offensive line came in, it was a mess. But then again, I, I looked at the film. Both of his interceptions, he had no pressure. He just horrifically underthrew his receiver. So, But that being said, look, you know, Dan and I have been at practice. Logan Thomas had a good practice on Monday. Uh, he has not had a very good camp. He's not a threat to Nassib. There's no one else out there, in my opinion barring something surprising. So I think Nassib is definitely the backup in week one. Yeah, I guess, I mean, I don't know if we're supposed to be debating here, but yeah, that, that to me is a slam dunk fact as well. And I think it, it probably comes down more to anything else than, yeah, there is nobody pushing him. I mean, Nassib, unless he gets hurt or falls on his face completely, uh, I just can't see a scenario where he wouldn't be out there. Um, you know, James said Logan Thomas had a good practice Monday. Would probably say that's been his first good practice at camp. I mean, he, 
he really is shaky, kind of just running the operation. I've never seen a guy call timeouts in a seven on seven, and he's done it twice yeah. in camp. It just that just it's a little snapshot of just it seems like he's not you know comfortable around the offense, and that's the one thing you know with Nassib. Uh, obviously, the talent isn't at a you know an Eli Manning level, but he's been in the system now. He's been with the organization. Uh, for a few years, so I think that at least you feel like if you know Eli missed a quarter or something, you could plug Nassib in and and the wheels wouldn't fall off. Uh, again, I don't think he'd be a guy who could take over and uh, you know really lead the team long term. But again, you're looking at Eli so durable. Nassib's got the experience. It's just an it's an easy setting to have him as the backup, and uh, you just hope you never have to use him after uh, week four of the preseason. Dan, you just mentioned that Eli's so durable. I mean, do you think that? plays into making the decision so easy i mean james mentioned a few minutes ago the cowboys right and dak prescott actually looked good the other night but in general they've been worried about their backup quarterback situation for a while because tony romo has been very injury prone the last couple years and they they never know if he's going to stay healthy do you think that makes it almost like not to say the giants don't care about nasa or the progress but almost it makes the decision easier even if he doesn't look great in the preseason because well i mean you know eli doesn't ever get hurt yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously a luxury to have a, a starting quarterback. You know you can you know, basically pencil in for 16 games every year, and they don't have to do the things like James was talking about. You don't have to kick the tires on Nick Foles because whatever, you, you don't think your backup quarterback is going to have to play. Now, if Eli got injured and, and NASA went in and then he stunk up the joint, well, then you'd be in trouble. But, I mean, that, a few things have to fall for that to even you know, get to that point. So, yeah, it's, it's a great luxury to have where – you don't have to invest in quarterbacks every offseason. You know, you drafted NASA a few years ago, and you've been able to just ride with that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you can't overstate how important it is to have a, uh, a solid quarterback who, you know, can trot out there every Sunday without fail. Well, I All think right. go ahead, one, one of the things I would say is that, you know, and I think, you know, fans kind of got upset. Like, if – look, I'm not saying – if Eli got hurt and NASA had to play for a large stretch of the regular season, I'm not – I don't think it's anything a sure thing the Giants would be successful, but – he he would have a first team offensive line in front of him. He would have Odell Beckham Jr. on the field, and I you know he, the one thing he does well is he throws the ball inside, slants, quick hitting. He does that pretty well. So I do think the Giants feel that they would be able to create a game plan around him. But you know I just think teams have to save money at certain positions, and you can have a a good backup quarterback like a Mark Sanchez, but you're gonna have to pay that guy. You know, the Giants don't really pay Ryan Nassif all that much to, to back up Eli Manning. You know, but you you get a guy like Foles, Foles is going to command a lot more money in terms of the salary cap. So I think, you know, this is just kind of the strategy that they use with the backup quarterback. They use a guy they like that's been in the system and they, they think has some skills. And if disaster strikes, you know, there's a 55 to 60 percent chance you're screwed anyway. So just might as well throw him out there. Right, and exactly. I mean, and if Eli goes down, I think we're going to have a different conversation more than Ryan Nassib. We're going to have a conversation about more of the future of the franchise um, than just Ryan Nassib and how he'll play. Now, in terms of the guy calling the plays, and, and James, before you get into your fact or fiction on this, just kind of run people through what happened last week in the first game because, you know, some people might have been on vacation and didn't watch the game. That happens in summer in the preseason. Oh, obviously, a lot of our fans probably did, or our listeners did, but if they didn't, Take us through what happened with the play calling and then answer this fact or fiction. Ben McAdoo will call plays this season. Fact or fiction. And then uh, what happened in the first game? So in the first game, after, you know, much suspense and we asked the question a couple times in the first couple of weeks of camp and Ben would, you know, give his vague non-answers. Uh, he came out and said it that Mike Sullivan, the offensive coordinator, called the plays on Friday night against the Dolphins. Um, 
Ben said that there's a op, there's a possibility that they might rotate play callers. So I don't know if it's going to be a game by game thing. We'll have to find out. Uh, you know, he did say it's pretty obvious who's calling the plays, and it was because Mike Sullivan had the the big play sheet, and, and Ben didn't. Um, so I don't. We'll have to see what happens on Saturday. But you know, there's a little bit more doubt in my mind now. But I'm still going to stick with the fact that I, I just. It's hard for me to see Ben not calling the plays because at the end of the day, he's the head coach of the Giants because he called he called the plays well the last two seasons. So I don't I don't know why they would hire him to be their head coach and then have him give up what what got him to the dance. So I, I would think that that's a fact and he will call the plays. But I'm a little bit more less sure of that now than I was, say, three weeks ago. Yeah, I'm going to go with fact as well, and I'm a little more sure. I mean, I know that Sullivan called the plays in the first game, but I think, you know, that's the preseason. It's time to try things out, uh, you know, to, to James's point. Mackin got this job because he did a good job as the offensive coordinator. I mean, you know, obviously head coach has a lot more roles, but I don't know why you would give up your bread and butter. And the thing that it comes back to for me is obviously being a Mike McCarthy protege. You know, Mike McCarthy makes it sound like giving up the play calling last year was like the biggest coaching blunder of his life. So uh, I'm sure Ben has probably been in touch with him. Sure, Ben's very aware of that situation. So, if your mentor, uh, you know, was a head coach and was calling plays, and, and that's what's worked for him, I don't see why Ben would come in uh, day one and say I'm going to change that again. You know, I don't, I don't read a ton into Mike Sullivan doing it. Uh, maybe there'll be times during a game where he have to do it. I don't know exactly how <clears throat> the mechanics of it will work, but I think overall, Ben McAdoo is going to be the play caller for this offense on Sundays. All right, we we kept I kept the two hardest ones I think for last, and you guys have I think given pretty you know quick answers to the first couple, so maybe these next couple will be a little more difficult on you. So we're doing this podcast on a Tuesday morning. So yesterday was Monday, obviously the start of the week, the end of camp uh, technically for the Giants. And I was in the car and I heard Mike Frances of the fan. He was there and uh, doing his rounds of interviews, obviously with everyone associated with the Giants. And James, you wrote a little bit about Frances being there as well, and. When I got in the car, I heard him with Eli Manning. This was about 2 o'clock on Monday. And they were talking um, in, in kind of a tone that Eli still has a lot of good football left. Now, James, you've seen him for a couple of years, Dan. Mm-hmm. You know him, and obviously you've watched him here this full camp. His age is 36, 35, 36 at this point. He's been the league since 35. 35, okay. So he's been in the league since 2004, uh, has played all these games in a row, obviously, never misses a game, he's durable, uh, and he's really thrived in Ben McAdoo's offense. So the factor fiction I have for you is Eli Manning has multiple high-level seasons of quarterback play left. Factor fiction, James. Fact. That's a good thing for the Giants, if that's – I mean, that, that – because I think we, we get to the point of any quarterback's career at this stage, and you start to wonder – like, I'd be surprised if Eli doesn't play well this year, but then you just never know as the years go on when it's going to fall off. But you think he's got more than one left in him. Yeah, I, I think he, I think he, I think, I actually think Eli might be about to have the best season of his career this year. Um, and I, I would think, you know, barring a big injury, he, he'd have a very good season in 2017. I think 2018, he's got four years left on this deal. I think the Giants should feel very comfortable and confident about the first two years, good about year three. And then I think once you get past, I'm trying to, uh, so 36, I say he'd be, I believe, 38 at the end of that deal. Uh, his birthday is like January 3rd, I believe. So I think once you get to that point, it's kind of, you know, you just you just hope it all works out. Um, I, I will say this, so I, I've always, you know, I, I've been around Eli for going on two seasons now. I've always got the feeling that he's a guy who, 
he's not going to be like his brother and kind of be out there and not really capable of doing what he used to do. But Eli's always struck me as a guy who he might he might be done a year early rather than a year late. So, but I do think he's got a couple good years left in him. Dan, before you answer, James, have you noticed the same thing I have? Uh, I mean, you're and you've been watching him every day yeah. this summer. I don't feel like his arm strength has diminished as the years have gone on. Maybe a little bit from when he was 23 years old and he came in the league, but not significantly. I mean, he's still, to me, has got just as big of an arm as he had five years ago. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's dropped some bombs in uh, in the practice so far. We haven't seen him in the preseason game yet. But, no, he said the other day, you know, the only thing that's really changed for him is that he, you know, it takes him a, a little while in the morning to get loose and, you know, ready to roll and all stretched out. You know, he kind of joked that when he was a rookie, he just would kind of roll out of the bed in Albany and then walk out to practice and start throwing. But, you know, he's got his whole, you know, process now to get ready for, before the day starts. But, yeah, no, he, he, he looks – he's just kind of – I don't want to say ageless, but he, he's so steady that I, half the time, I, I mean, people don't even talk about him because it's just like, oh, yeah, that's Eli. He, he's here. So there's so many other press, pressing issues with the team. But he's looked really good so far in camp. He seems like he's in complete control of the offense. Uh, he's got the weapons around him. I, I think this could be a really, really big year for him. Does feel ageless. Dan, how about for you? Multiple high-level seasons from Eli left. Fact or fiction? Yeah, I'm going to go fact as well. Um, again, we, you can't uh, emphasize the durability enough. The guy hasn't dealt with injuries, and I think you know that's obviously something that leads to a decline more than anything else. I mean, look at his brother. His brother was playing at a very high level and then fell off the, you know, the map once he started dealing with the injuries. But if Eli can stay healthy the way he has, uh, there's no reason – to, there's nothing to suggest that he's going to drop off. I mean, I did a thing earlier in camp where I looked at his stats, and obviously the last two years have arguably been the best two years of his career. And I don't think he's discovered the fountain of youth. I think he discovered Ben McAdoo's offense and Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, but those two things aren't going anywhere. So if he's able to stay healthy and he has you know the best wide receiver arguably in the game, he has an offensive system that he clearly thrives in, I don't see any reason for a decline. And, and even if you just look around, I mean, quarterbacks – Obviously, he can play a long time. I mean, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Carson Palmer. I mean, some of the top quarterbacks in the league right now, you know, are older than Eli. So I, I don't think that it's it would be unheard of. Um, and again, for a guy who's played every game, uh, there's no reason to think all of a sudden he's going to become injury prone. So yeah, I think you know the, the Odell Beckham, uh, Ben McAdoo offense factor uh, plus his durability. Th- there's no there's no end in sight as far as I can tell. I mean, I've, this is the first time I've watched him every day, obviously, and he looks good in camp. I mean, the guy. Uh, isn't a bodybuilder or anything, but he's clearly in great shape. Uh, he doesn't take days off to rest his arm. I mean, he's out there, and, he, and he's putting plenty of plenty of heat on some of these throws he's making in camp. So, yeah, everything to me suggests he's, uh, he's going to maintain this level. All right, we'll wrap with this one, and I think this ties into Eli uh, and also the rest of the roster because of, of how the Giants have kind of turned it over with the free agents they've brought in, the guys they've drafted, how it's, it's gotten younger the last couple of years, even though Eli – uh, obviously is not getting any younger. James, whenever we talk about NFL teams and um, their ability to go on a, a run to win or, or you know compete for the postseason in multiple years in a row, we talk about windows. And I feel like the last couple years with Tom Coughlin on the sideline, it almost felt like we were talking about a window that if it had shut already, it was closing rapidly. Mm-hmm. Fact or fiction, the Giants have reopened their window to compete for a championship. And what I mean by that is if, if you don't believe they've reopened it yet, then I guess it's fiction. Like that could come in the next couple of years. Or do you believe it's, it's open now? Do you believe the Giants window to win a championship is open, even if slightly? So when you say window, you mean, do I think the Giants could potentially win a championship this year? 
Yeah. Do do I do you think the window is open? Like anytime a team is built, I think they have and and if they're good, they have like a three or four or five year window, depending on the age of the team and all bunch of factors. And with the Giants with a new coach, these kids they brought in, I mean, maybe it hasn't opened yet in your eyes, but do you think the window for a championship has reopened for the Giants? Fact or fiction? I'll say fiction. I, I don't I think this team is still now when I well, coming into camp I was saying eight and eight. Uh I'll officially announcing that I'm upgrading that to nine and seven at this point, just because the, the Eagles are so bad that I think the Giants are going to sweep them. They're a disaster. They, but, re- uh, they really might be bad. They really they, might. I be mean, bad. I, 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 I thought when, coming into camp, I was like, all right, the Eagles would be like, you know, seven and nine, eight and eight. You know, like they could legitimately be three and thirteen. They're a mess with no so, first round pick next year. With no first round pick, so I still think the, the depth's a concern for this team. Um, you know, could they sneak into – look, they could they could very easily get into the playoffs this year. And then once you get in the playoffs, anything can happen. So – but, you know, from a from a long-term view, I think they still need another draft, um, so, you know, another go-around in free agency. They're going to have some money again next March. So I, I think next year is the year where they should enter training camp saying, we can win the Super Bowl. I think right now they're saying we can get to the playoffs. So I'll say fiction. I think they got to go through another off-season cycle before they can say, all right, our window is here. We're trying to win, go for broke and win the title in the next three years. So, so the window's I'll say being, fiction. So the window's being installed. They can't no, open yes. it yet? Yes, the window's <laughs> being installed. And look, if they get in the playoffs, anything can happen. And I think that there's still enough institutional memory that they get in the playoffs of, you know, hey, we know what we do when we get to this point. Um, but that's a long way away. So I think, yes, they're, they're, this team's a year away, in my opinion, from being a, a legitimate Super Bowl contender. But, again, anything can happen if you get into the tournament, as Bill Parcells would say. Right, he would say that. Dan, how about, if you, how about for you? Have the Giants reopened a window to win a title or, or not quite yet? Yeah, I mean, I'd say absolutely. I mean, it doesn't make them a Super Bowl favorite this year. Or, I mean, I don't know how far down the road you want to look, but in terms of a window, a couple of years, I mean, this team's in a lot better shape than it was at the end of last year. I mean, even uh, John Mara said that yesterday on the radios. I'm sure Tom Coffin loves to hear it once again that, you know, this is a much better roster than he had. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you just got to get in the playoffs, like James said. I mean, it's not like when they won the Super Bowl, they were 15-1 and and 14-2. and So was the championship window open at the start of those seasons? I mean, I think if you're a playoff contender in today's NFL, I mean, the window's open. You have a quarterback who's proven that he can win big games, big playoff games on the road, whatnot. Um, but so, and I think the thing, when you talk windows, the, the best part for the franchise right now is they went out and signed a lot of free agents that are on the younger side. I mean, a lot of times teams will make the big splashes and they get a guy who's kind of on the decline. Um, you look at guys like Vernon and Jenkins and Harrison, they're all, you know, mid twenties. So you can kind of build around them for a few years. You're not hoping to get one or two years. And then all of a sudden you're going to realize uh, that, you know, their best football is behind them. Uh, you know, obviously Odell Beckham is young. Sterling Shepard is young. Uh, I mean, the offensive line would be the question mark, but if you're just talking in general, is the, is the window wider uh, today than it was last year for sure. And I think, yeah, I mean, I don't think they're a Super Bowl favorite by any stretch, but uh, they're, gonna, they're a team that's in the mix. They're going to be a contender. So, yeah, I'd say uh, that's a fact that their window is, is open right now. All right, so finally we had a little disagreement there. As finally, the Giants, finally, finally, there we go. Fact and fiction uh, on the opposite sides of that. All right, well, let's wrap with this. The game will be Saturday in Buffalo. You guys will be up there. It's an afternoon game at 4 p.m. start for the Giants in their second preseason game. 
Uh, Eli's going to play in this one. We'll see about Cruz and we all think, that. We, we think. think we think Eli's going to play. Ben wouldn't say the other day. Eli seemed to kind of tip his cards when uh, with, on the air with Francesa yesterday. But I guess until we get up there, we won't know for sure. But it, it seems likely that Eli's going to play. Okay, so, so likely Eli. We'll see about Cruz. From each of you, give me one or two things you're looking to watch uh, specifically in the game against Buffalo. James? Uh, for me, number one, you know, just what's going to, you know, what do they look like in middle linebacker and, and linebacker in total? Um, you know, Kelvin Shepard has kind of come out of nowhere and it seems to have grabbed the, the lead at middle linebacker over Jasper Brinkley. Um, I think it's it's an interesting, I mean, Shepard's had a pretty good camp so far. He's a guy who they, they kind of signed off the scrap heap and I don't think people gave him much, much chance, but he, he's impressed so far. But, you know, I, I still don't think that, you know, He's the three-down middle linebacker the Giants are looking for. Um, you know, Keenan Robinson is a guy who was banged up a little bit. He missed the preseason game. He's back at practice. We've only seen him on the weak side. Are we ever going to see him at middle linebacker where he would seem to also be a fit? And the second thing I'm looking for is, you know, the second-team offensive line. You know, they kind of rejiggered things uh, to see how they handle, you know, Rex's exotic defensive fronts on Saturday and what they look like because – I think it's a it's a very serious concern point for the Giants that you know Newhouse and Jerry are what they are, and they think that Bobby Hart has a chance to be a, a guard tackle swing guy as their sixth man. But they're going to need, need two or three more offensive linemen. Uh, those guys really struggled that second unit, those third units uh, on Friday night. So they've kind of moved the depth chart around a little bit. I'm intrigued to see how those guys handle it, and if we start to see some of those guys make a real strong push to be. You know the the seventh off seventh eighth and ninth lineman on the roster. Oh, and this Victor Cruz play, of course, got to watch for that. Uh, for that, yeah. one, we'll all be watching for that one. Dan, how about for you? What are you watching in Buffalo? Uh, I think one thing I'll be interested to see is how Leon Hall is used. I mean, he was only used uh, sparingly in the pre- first preseason game. I think he played five snaps, uh, basically as the second team slot corner. I think his role will increase. I mean, obviously Eli Apple doesn't look like he's going to play, so that that alone will help get Hall onto the field. Uh, but, you know, they've been using him in some different roles. I mean, the dime yesterday, he was playing uh, back at safety with Landon Collins moving up into the box. So, you know, I think that they're taking him along slowly. They don't want to throw too much at him. But at the same time, uh, I think they want to see what they have out of him. So I would expect him to play a, a bigger role uh, on on Saturday. So that'll be interesting to see how that works. And on the other side of the ball, I, I think it's time to kind of see what these young wide receivers can do in a game. Uh, you know, they kind of were running roots out there the other night and, and NASA couldn't get him the ball. So, didn't really get to see some of the stuff we've seen in training camp, but obviously what happens in training camp and, and a lot of times in just shorts and shoulder pads is different than what happens in a real game. So I think we'll get a chance to, to find out which of these young guys is real. You know, is, is Roger Lewis going to be able to carry over what he's done in camp uh, into a game? Ben McAdoo came right out and said, you know, it's my job to get these guys more opportunities because you have to find that out. So I think that'll be very interesting to see, uh, especially if Lewis uh, can get some first team reps and, and play with Eli, uh, how that works. So, I think that's a position that I'll, I'll definitely be keeping an eye on Saturday. A lot to watch for. The preseason officially now in the full swing of things. Second preseason game coming up. We'll be back next week after that to talk about it and get set uh, for all what we know is the all-important third preseason game. Guys, always uh, have fun doing this. Happy to be back here and, and get this, uh, this summer and season rolling. James, thanks for doing this. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, thanks a lot, Joe. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you want to interact with the show on Twitter, at TalkIsCheapNYG is our Twitter account. You could follow it 
Uh, send us questions. We will talk about them uh, on next week's episode. You can always listen on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, any way you want to listen, you can listen to Talk is Cheap. This has been episode 60. We'll talk to you again next week right here on NJ.com.